Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Fabiano Nionkuru. Our Heavenly Most Precious Father Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the privilege of having the Bible. And we are very thankful as well for, for you and who you are in our lives and the very fact that you have loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. Heavenly Father, we are very grateful that you loved us even when we're still sinners. Even today, you continue loving us even though we are not perfect. Your love is so great. And Father, we, we just want to thank you and we want to exalt the name of Christ today. And we want to ask that you may lead us to the throne of mercy as we come humbly, Father. We ask that we may leave this place changed. We pray asking that you may lead us into your presence today. And we are praying that you may remove sin from us. We are praying that you may give us power and strength to come to you and to be changed and to be willing to surrender daily. Heavenly Father, we want to pray that as we open your word, that your Holy Spirit may speak to each one of us individually, convict us of sin, and lead us and point us to our Savior. Heavenly Father, we pray that you may be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is God good, friends? I believe God has been good to all of us. The very reason why we are still alive today, it's something to thank God for. God is good all the time. God is good. There's nothing, there's nothing we should complain about. Especially knowing that God has sent his, his son Jesus to die for us. There's no greater love than that. And so today as we study from his word, let us keep that in mind. That God loves us. God, God's love is, is unstoppable. You, you, you can't limit his love. God's love is so great. So keep that in mind as we study his word. But having said that, keep in mind as well that, that God loves sinners, but yet he hates sin. Sin is like a bomb. If you were to, if, if, you, if you had a bomb with you, if, and you, let's say you realize that you had a bomb with you, the very first thing you would do would be to get rid of it. Isn't that right? You would not cherish it. And so sin is like a bomb. If we cherish sin, it is going to destroy us, and it is going to destroy us for eternity. And so, let us open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. The title of our message today is, Who Shall Be Able to Stand? Let us open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, we are told of the sixth seal. There are seven seals, but this is the sixth seal of which we'll look at. 
And this sixth seal portrays God's judgment falling on the oppressors and the enemies of God's people, who are also the enemies of God. The realization of which is described in the scene of the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And so, here in the sixth seal, we are told of the events which would happen before Jesus comes back. Let us read Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, we read these following words. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? That is a question which is asked at the end of the sixth chapter of Revelation. And the seventh chapter goes on then to explain or to give an answer of who shall be able to stand. The events described in this chapter, in this sixth seal, are events which we need to study and understand. For some, I guess, for those who have not yet given their lives to Christ, when this event finally unfolds, they are going to be sorry that they did not give their lives to Christ while they still had time. But for us who are privileged and are here to hear this message, we are privileged and we are, we, are, we are to make a decision while we still have time. Let us look at this great day of the Lord, which is talked about here in verse 17. This great day of the Lord which is a theme which occurs over and over again in the Old Testament. So let us turn to Malachi chapter 3 and look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 2. Now interestingly, when I, um, when I chose this message, I had been praying, asking the Lord, what should I share today? Now, if you have been studying your lesson, your weekly Sabbath school lesson, you, you would have noticed that uh, this weekly lesson was talking about the day of the Lord. Interestingly, when I was praying and trying to decide what to talk about, I had no idea that that was the theme of the lesson which we were studying throughout the week, even though I was studying the lesson. But all of a sudden, I had this strong conviction that I should share about the great day of the Lord today. And so I believe God was leading. And interestingly, when I walked in here, uh, one of our um, elders here was sharing exactly on this topic. And so I guess we are going to be blessed as we study more about this. And so I believe God wanted us to share this. And so let us go to Malachi, the last, chap- the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 20. Let us, I guess, explore more about the great day of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, I believe. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, it says, But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like, a, and like fuller's soap. So who, there's a question once again, 
that is asked in Malachi chapter 3. Who shall be able to stand? Who shall stand when he appeareth? And so this great day of the Lord, just, for, just by looking at Malachi chapter 3 verse 2, is going to be quite a scary day for some. Let us explore this a bit further. Let us go to Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. You see, the Old Testament prophets talked about this great day of the Lord repeatedly. So let us focus now on Zephaniah 1, verse 7 and 8. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his guests. If you are familiar with the Gospels, this, you can see some parallels here. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. And so this judgment which was foretold by the prophets over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the great day of the Lord was a theme which was repeated over and over again. But Amos chapter 5 adds something interesting. Amos chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. In Amos chapter 5, verse 18 to 20, we read these following words. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and no light. Verse 19. I like the imagery that it gives here in verse 19. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and no light, even very dark and no brightness in it. All of a sudden we are given this imagery of a person running away from a lion only to meet a bear right on as he turns to flee from the lion. And a man lean, I mean, fleeing and leaning his hands, you know, against the wall and then all of a sudden notices a snake right there. And so what this imagery, the imagery that is found in here is of is the suddenness of this great day of the Lord. And how um, really you won't be able to flee or to run because if you are not found resting in Christ, if you are not found having accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this day is not going to be light for you. It's going to be very dark and gloomy. This was the imagery which the prophets talked about over and over and over again, trying to get the people's attention to make their paths straight, to make things right with God. Once again, let us look at one more. Joel chapter 1, verse 15. Just the next day, just the book um, before the one we're reading. Joel chapter 1, one, uh, verse 15, it says the following. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. 
And in verse, chapter 2, verse 1 and 3, he says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 2, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, and the morning spread upon the mountains a great people and a strong there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Verse 3, And a, a fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. This is how they described the great day of the Lord. A day for the wicked, of course, a day which is going to be dark, thick darkness. That's not the kind of day you would want to wake up to. This is going to be a terrible day. And listen, let us be very honest here. We do like to feel, to be comforted as people. We do like to hear smooth things. But if we are not warned, we will wake up to a day such as this and we will be sorry and we will wish someone had warned us. If there's one thing that I found very difficult to understand, for me, it's when I arrived in this country and only to find many people wanting to ignore some of the warnings that are clearly revealed here in scripture. But once again, like I said in the beginning, God is love. There's no doubt. First John 4, 8. But at the same time, as we are going to discover, there is, for those of course who do not give their lives to God, then they're going to face something, something terrible at his appearing when Jesus shall suddenly appear in the clouds. Let us look at the New Testament, talking about the same day and how the New Testament describes this day. Let us go to Matthew 24, verse 29, verse 29 and up to 30. This is Matthew 24. And this is the chapter which talks about the um, end times. There in Matthew chapter 24, we read these following words, verse 29 to 30. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Is that 24? Oh, sorry, 24. It says, verse 29 of chapter 24. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the, of the heavens shall be shaken in the end times. Verse 30, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is when Jesus suddenly appears. The nations will mourn. What a sad thing. Instead of rejoicing, Nations will mourn. And Second Peter chapter three, verse ten to fourteen. 
picking up on the same theme. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 14. Let us read. It says, By the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When a thief comes, he gives you no appointment or whatsoever. When a thief comes, in fact, you know that the thief came after you woke up and realized that your things have already gone. And so the day of the Lord is described in the same manner in that it will come as a thief in the night. A day which we do not know. Continuing. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved or destroyed, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, it says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace with our sport and blameless. Of course, here Peter gives us more details now. So there are those who are looking forward to that day. But for those who are not, this day is going to be of sudden, fearful, terrible, the elements of the earth will melt, everything will be caught in chaos. And so this is the great day of the Lord. But what does, what does the Bible then say, I guess, when it comes to the two groups which will be found on this great day of the Lord? Let us look at 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm just set, trying to set up the stage, first of all. Let us have a look at the bigger picture of what the great day of the, great day of the Lord is. Let's look at two verses. We are going to look at two verses side by side. First Thessalonians 5, chapter, two, chapter 5, verse 2 to 6. And then, if you quickly after that, turn to 2 Timothy. So First Thessalonians 5, there you go, chapter 5. Let us read verse 2 to 6. It says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Once again. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day shall overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Once again, there's two groups here being represented. Therefore, let us not sleep and do, uh, sorry, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. And so here, Paul once again writing to, uh, to the people in Thessalonica, he says that the great day of the Lord is coming. It will, you know, it will come as a thief in the night. 
while some are saying peace and safety, it shall come. And there will be two groups. There are those who will be the children of the light, the children of the darkness. And so two groups. And then he says, you know, of course, speaking to the Christians, that they need to be awake. They need to be sober and they need not sleep. But notice what it says also in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Okay, yes. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. We read these words. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so this day will be sudden. It will catch some by surprise. But for those who are looking forward to that day, for those who are awake, those who have put their trust in God, this day is going to be a glorious day. And so this is the great day of the Lord. When war broke out in our country, it was in the night when we fled from our country. It was in the night. And we had no idea that that day we will be fleeing for our lives. I can remember vividly my father had returned from, um, from fishing. He was a fisherman. And that night, that was, I, I'm glad actually he was there at night, and uh, that day, because otherwise we might have, I mean, we could have lost him. But he came back at home. And that night as we all went to sleep, maybe about four hours after, we started hearing gunshots. I'm prepared. We had to flee for our lives. And we fled not knowing where to run to. Many people lost their lives during that night. It caught us by surprise. The day of the Lord will catch some people by surprise. And so the question in Revelation chapter 6 verse 17 is, On this great day then, who shall be able to stand? How many would like to know who those people will be? I personally would like to know who shall be able to stand because I want to be amongst those people. I want to be amongst those people. And so, the the great day of the Lord is, I would say, the day in which you and I will have to give an account to how we have treated the great sacrifice of Christ. The great day of the Lord, dear friends, it should be a joyous day for Christians. And my prayer is that all of us here will be able to welcome the Lord when when he appears in the clouds. Not to flee not to run to the mountains. Not to, not to immediately, I guess, be caught by surprise. But I'll pray that when Jesus finally appears, that all of us will finally look at him face to face and say, This is the Lord whom we have waited for. For when he comes, he is going to make all things new, as the Bible says. 
and he will be able to restore all things. But just as it happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned and ran to hit them, I mean, to hit themselves, many will run to hit themselves. And that's a sad reality that that is going to happen. And just as it happened also to um, Sodom and Gomorrah, it caught many by surprise. But for those who had hit to the voice of God, they were able to escape. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, many were warned just like we are being warned today. But those who listened to the warnings, to the voice of God calling them, they were able to escape. And so we are called as well, we are being warned before that day comes to make the path straight. And so we read of the, of the parable of the, um, the ten virgins. Many had oil, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. All of them, in fact, had oil to start with. But some ran out. And when the bridegroom finally came, they had to run to and fro searching for oil, but they couldn't find none at that time. But what, the, what that parable teaches me is preparedness. We need to prepare to welcome the Lord. When the people in Noah's day were warned about the sudden destruction to come, they were given a time to prepare to welcome the Lord. We have been given warnings, especially in Matthew 24. You know, we, were, we have been told of signs which would come. And this is to prepare us for the time which is about to come. Let us then keep in mind that we are living in the time of the end and we need to prepare to welcome the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 to 7, if you could turn there with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 3 to 7, it says these words. Knowing this first, that they shall come in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. But then verse 5 up to verse 7 It points to something interesting here. It says, For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old. Everything were created by the word. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Verse 6, Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with the water perished in the times of Noah, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, the word of God, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so, just as it was in the days of Noah, 
So will it be, Jesus said, in the last days. Are we preparing? I believe that this world has not seen a terrible day such as the day which is coming. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to scare people, but we need to come to a realization that that day is not going to be pretty at all for those who are not in the Lord. And I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus finally appears in the clouds, the Bible says that his glory, his, bright, his brightness, the unrighteous will not be able to look at. It's going to be like a consuming fire. And as the Bible has already pointed out, the elements of this earth will melt. This world hasn't seen such a day. It's going to be big. And I think Hollywood hasn't, it will never catch up to how big this day is going to be in the uh, worldly, uh, you know, special effects they usually, you know, try to um, portray, you know, when they, uh, they ever make something uh, or a movie to do with the end time. Not that I watch movies, but I'm just saying that this day is going to be like none other. It's going to be a big day, a terrible day, and a very fearful day. Let us look at the wrath of God just for a little bit, because this, that verse which we read in Revelation 6, verse 17, it says, Who shall be able to stand? And then he also said, I'll quickly read that, it also said that who shall be able to stand on that great day of his wrath? What is God's wrath? Let us, I guess, look a little bit into that as well. Let us turn to Romans chapter 1 verse 18. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, we read these following words. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness or sin. And so I wanted to, as I was studying for this, I wanted to understand exactly what is the wrath. And the dictionary said that the wrath is extreme anger. And then what is anger? Anger is displeasure or annoyance or anything like that. And so God's wrath then is his displeasure of sin. It's his, it's, it's his extreme hatred of sin. And as we have already mentioned, sin is like a bomb which is ready to explode. And so God's wrath, it's against sin. Not the person. Please understand that. God is long-suffering, wishing that all should come to repentance, that all should be saved. And so, let us look at Romans chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. As we explore about, about God's wrath, as we explore this, this word and try to understand what God's wrath is all about. So, Romans chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, we read of these following words. It says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up 
unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So, if you continue in your sin, unrepentant, then all of a sudden you are pretty much uh, adding more fuel to yourself. And once Jesus finally appears, you will be destroyed. John 3.36. In John 3.36, we read of these following words. John 3.36. It says, He that believeth not, sorry, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And so, dear friends, the wrath of God, is, it is the extreme hatred, the extreme anger against sin. And those who are not found in Christ are pretty much putting or, or, or pretty much heaping up much fuel to themselves of which will finally explode and lead to eternal death. That is not a place where you and I want to be. We want to be found in the Lord. And I'll tell you why it's important to think about about this theme or about the day of the Lord, especially in the times in which we're living. We have come to a time in history where many people are trying to speak less about sin and its consequences. We have come to a time in history where they are trying to blur the line between what is right and what is wrong. Especially in this world where postmodernism, the idea that there's no absolutes, even when it comes to truth, where many people are feeding into this. And there's a term that is used, um, relativism. I don't know if you've heard of it. You know, where, you, where what you perceive to be truth really is your truth. And that does not really have to apply to me. This is the kind of world in which we're living. And people need to understand that there is truth. There is absolute truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if there is truth, and the truth tells us that there is sin, we ought to believe that. And sin is, as it says, I believe in 1 John 4, 3, it's a transgression of the law. And the law is Christ's character. So let us ever keep that in mind. We are living in a very dangerous time, especially for young people. Not long ago, I was invited to give a short testimony at 728 at, at um, the college. I'm not being judgmental, but I believe in righteous judgment. <laughs> you can, we can judge righteously, the Bible says. Honestly, what I experienced there was worse than a rock concert. Worse than heavy metal. I never heard, hear of those, I never listened to that kind of rubbish music, but it was worse than that. And this is in our institution. Now, I'm not trying to attack the institution. But I'm just saying, this is what is happening. 
People are losing sense of what is right and what is wrong. We have come to a time in history where people would rather be pardoned and comforted in their own sin. That is heaping up fuel upon yourself which is going to finally explode. God, in his loving mercy, has sent Jesus. And it will be a very sad thing for you to ignore his gift, his precious gift. He has offered righteousness for free. (coughs) The robe of righteousness. You have nothing that you can do to save yourself. And here God has offered Christ. He has offered, as they said, the darling of heaven. It will be a sad reality for us to reject that. And so, God's wrath will be revealed in extreme measure against sin. But here is what turns away God's wrath. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. There you go. Verse 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And then verse 5 to 10, it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate, I apologize, inordinate affection, evil, Apologize, my uh, English is playing up a little bit. Evil concupiscence, inordinate affection. I read again, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication and cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is adultery, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Verse 7. And, the, and in them in the which you also walked sometime when ye lived in them. And then verse 8. It says, But now you also put off all this anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy fornication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 10. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And so that is how to turn away the wrath of God. It's turning away from sin. Is everybody following so far? Wonderful. And so, God's anger, God's displeasure... It's, once again, against sin. And this day of the great, of this day of the great God Almighty, it's coming. We need to prepare to meet the Lord. And this is how we prepare. First of all, as I have mentioned in chapter 7, we are given... The answer to those who will be able to stand 
in the last days. There are two groups which are represented. One is the 144,000. And then there's an, that's from verse 1 to 9. And there's verse 9 to 17, which talks about the second group, which, which is even bigger. And we are told there in verse 9 to 17 that they will have the white robes on. And they will be the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. This is in the last days. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the people who have accepted Jesus and then surrendered their will to God and have allowed Christ to live his life in them. And they have put on Christ's righteousness. Those are the two groups which are presented there. And so, this is then how we prepare. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, we read of these words. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Continuing in First um, John 3, verse 1 to 9. Maybe we can read that in our own time because we are out of time. But this is how we prepare. We need to depart from iniquity. We need to pray for victory over sin. And here, what this man, Benjamin Franklin, I believe he was... President of the United States, I believe so, uh, unless if I'm mistaken. But this is what he said, and I think this is quite remarkable. He says, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Isn't that true? I believe it's true. We need to prepare. And then Ellen White says in early writings, ver- uh, uh, page 16, she says, those who have clean hands and pure hearts shall be able to stand. My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient. Continuing, she says that men of intelligent men in responsible positions will be putting rotten timbers in their characters, character building, material which is consumable, that's in page 447, in the day of God, and which will decide them to be unfit to enter the mansions above. As we depart from sin, as we prepare to meet the Lord. One of the most important things, which uh, Dion has already mentioned, is the, char- the preparing of the character. And as we, pre- as we prepare our characters, which is the only thing which will be taken to heaven with us, we need not put in rotten timbers. And how? I, I, had, um, I had developed a, um, I guess, step by step, but because of time, I'm just going to touch on just the important parts. One we need Christ's character to be reproduced within us. And Christ's character, I believe, can be found in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. You know, when we study the life of Christ, that's Christ's character. A man who um, issued sin, a man who uh, was obedient, a man who surrendered, 
a man who was uh, temperate in all things, a man who um, pretty much was submissive to his father, we can see all those good characters of which we must have in order to build, up, to build our characters and to prepare us to welcome the Lord. That's Galatians 5, 22, 23. Um, but what, this one I want to read, um, this is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 7. And I think this is very practical too. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. And it says, And besides this, giving all diligence unto your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. These are characters. This is how we build our characters. By step by step advancing putting on, uh, you know, virtue, which is, you know, goodness, moral excellence, putting on the knowledge, the knowledge of God, and then being temperate in all things, and practicing patience, perseverance, and godliness. This is how we prepare. And one person mentioned in our service school, and this is very true, we are living in the last phase of the ministry, um, of the high priestly ministry. Um, And you know that in the last phase, the people of God had to be outside outside, um, praying, fasting, afflicting their souls, hoping that they'll be forgiven on on the day of the atonement. That's the last phase in which we are living too in these last days. So we, as we wait for the Lord to appear, to come back, we must ever keep in mind that is not time to sleep, nor to slumber, because if we do not prepare to meet the Lord, then the day of the Lord will be gloomy, will be dark, and it will be a very terrible day. But dear friends, should we be disheartened? No, we shouldn't. For we serve a big God. We serve a risen Savior. Philippians 4.13, you know it. God is able to help us in all circumstances. God has provided everything which we need to be saved. And his grace, dear friends, does not excuse, excuse us to sin, but it should lead us to repentance. As we close, I'm going to read just a few words from Steps of Christ. And this is, I believe, how we prepare. This is found in Steps of Christ, a chapter which I would urge you to read when you have time. This is uh, Steps of Christ. Uh, I'll give you the page. Okay. Steps of Christ. Steps of Christ. One of... All right. I apologize. I thought I had put on the chapter here. Um... Steps of Christ, and this is what it says. I'm going to just pick out a few bits. It says, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? In preparing, of course, uh, preparing our characters. 
and in making sure that we are right with God. She says, this is the gov- uh, she says, we are to surrender our will to God. We are to choose. We are to yield ourselves to the influence, to the, to the um, influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to read just this last bit here. She says, desires for, good, for goodness and holiness are right as far as they go. But, you, but if you stop here, they will avail nothing. Many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christians. They do not come to the point of yielding their will to God. They do not now choose to be Christians. Though the right exercise of the will, an entire change may be made in your life. Sorry, through the right exercise of the will, an entire change may be made in your life. By yielding up your will to Christ, you ally yourself with a power that is above all principalities and powers. You will have strength from above to hold, to hold you steadfast, and thus through constant surrender to God, you will be, you will be enabled to live the new life, even in the life of faith. And I personally believe that that's how we prepare. I think I had prepared way too much, but I believe what we've heard is enough. Dear friends, let me appeal to you that it is not time to sleep. It is time, in fact, to wake up. Let us ever keep in mind that we are living in the final phases of, our, of earth's history. Jesus is about to come. I personally am convinced, I'm, I'm convicted because everything that is happening around us shows us that the prophecies are fast fulfilling. When the prophet Emma White talked about how many things would even start happening within our own churches. I guess in her time, many people would have wondered how it would be, but we are seeing a lot of challenges, or should I say, certain arrows against his remnant. We are all aware of this. Satan is attacking, and he's attack, he's, he is attacking at the very heart the doctrines and the family, the doctrines and the family institutions. And so let us ever keep in mind that Christ is coming and we must prepare. This is no salvation by works. This is salvation by love. Let us prepare to welcome the Lord. If you are able, you can stand and then we'll we'll pray together as we ask the Lord to help us to perfect our characters, fit to welcome him. If you are able, you may stand and then we'll pray together. Let us pray. Our heavenly, most precious Father, thank you for, for reminding us continually that we need to prepare. And in fact, if all ended at the cross, we wouldn't be here. But the very reason why we are here, as the Bible tells us, is for us to prepare, to respond to God's goodness and his grace. Father Lord, we are praying, asking that you may help us 
to ever remember that we need to walk in harmony with Christ and his character and we need to prepare to welcome our Lord and Savior. Father Lord, help us to meditate upon the words which we just heard. And I pray that if there's anything erroneous that might have come out of my mouth, that it may not remain in their hearts. I pray that your word may be the seed which will grow and lead our lives to bear fruits, the fruits of the Spirit. And I pray that you may help us, Father Lord, to recognize that we need not only to prepare, but we need to ever keep our knees on the floor in prayer, asking that Christ's character may be reproduced in us. For without it, we can't go to heaven. But Father, we are standing, asking that you may help us step by step, moment by moment, that you may lead us closer to you. And that we may behold and be changed. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02. 4973-3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456 Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au That is radio at the number 3abn Australia all one word dot org dot au Our postal address is 3abn Australia Inc. P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264, Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. Whilst the Celtic Church was maintaining the pure apostolic faith in the British Isles and evangelizing there as well, the Waldensians were doing the same here in northern Italy. The word Waldensian means people of the valleys. Originally though, in Italian, it was Valenses with a V. It was translated into the French as Vaudois. But in the 12th century, the V changed to a W, and one of the L's became a D, from where we get the name Waldensian today. The Waldensians did not see themselves as reformers. They did not see themselves as needing to separate from Rome, for they said, we have never belonged to it. They said they are part of the apostolic faith and could trace their origins all the way back to the early centuries. In fact, when we look at the history of the Waldensians, over several hundred years, if not millennia, we can see that they were around in the very early centuries, in the fourth century with Vigilantes. We can see them in the seventh, the eighth, the ninth century. 
Some people say that the first Waldensian was Peter Waldo in the 12th century, but this is not really accurate. Whilst it is true that Peter Waldo was a merchantman from Lyon, he did sell all of his goods and commit his life to the preaching of the gospel. He was not the first Waldensian and their roots trace back much before him. In fact, one of the early names for the Waldensians was actually the word insabati, showing clearly that the Waldensians were Sabbath keepers as they were named after the very day upon which they worshiped. As the Waldensians were coming up in the early centuries and the Roman Catholic Church was forming as well, both of them saw the heathens around them as a mission field. But whilst the Roman Catholic Church used the power of the law and the sword and political alliances to win people over, the Waldensians put their faith in the strength of God's word. When you gaze on the magnificent mountains that surround us, you cannot but admit that God provided a safe retreat for his people. To the Waldensians was given the task of passing the light on to the Protestants of modern time and penetrating the darkness with true Bible doctrine. Indeed, they maintained longer than any group in the struggle to preserve the Bible and primitive Christianity. In upcoming episodes, we're gonna see the caves in which they hid and where they met for worship. We're gonna see the places where they trained their young people in how to study the Bible and in how to be missionaries. We're also gonna climb mountains and see the cliffs over which the Waldensians were hurled to their death in times of persecution. Truly, the Waldensians stand to us today as a group of people who believed in the Bible, as a group of people who believed in mission service. They are a key part of our spiritual lineage today. episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.